from Vernissage Health. This is Built to Lead, a show where we talk to emerging and established leaders from all levels within the healthcare sector in the hope of breaking boundaries, inspiring hope, and redirecting views on what the landscape of healthcare leadership is and can be. Welcome back to the Built to Lead podcast, an IHPME student-led initiative made to uncover what it takes to be a great leader in today's healthcare system. I'm Megan Perrin, a student in the MHSC and Health Administration program at IHPME. I'm joined today by my co-host, IHPME and MHSC alumnus, Matthew Goldburn. Last episode, we kicked off our second season by delving a bit deeper into Vernissage Health, where Matthew spoke with Dr. Michael Anderson. We also introduced this season's theme, the five mindsets of a leader. This is grounded in the work of doctors Henry Mintzberg and Jonathan Gosling, and Matthew had the chance to speak with Dr. Mintzberg himself to give us an overview of the mindsets before we dive deeper into each of them over the course of the next few episodes. In this episode, we will be focusing on the reflective mindset, which relates to leading self, as well as the analytical mindset relating to leading organizations and systems. Today, Matthew and I have the pleasure of being joined by Simone Harrington and Jan Campbell. Simone Harrington is a leader that drives health system transformation through her leadership and expertise in utilizing new and innovative processes and technologies, which is really exemplified in her current role as the Vice President at Trillium Health Partners Institute for Better Health. She has spent the last 15 years focused on combining her skills in strategy, project management, and policy change to really help shape a healthier tomorrow for her community, region, and beyond. Our other guest, Jan Campbell, is an experienced advisor to nonprofit, public agency, and business leaders. She's the CEO and founder of Strategisense Consulting, through which she has coached, taught, and consulted thousands of leaders and teams from some of the country's most recognized and respected organizations to build cultures of resilient, curious, and deeply committed leadership. Let's dive right into the reflective mindset. In leading ourselves, we must understand that what we need as leaders is to stop and think to step back and reflect thoughtfully on our own experiences. In other words, we really must appreciate the past if we wish to use the present to get to a better future. And by leading ourselves, whether that be through listening carefully, observing, and getting feedback from others about our leadership practices, we build our self-awareness as leaders. This includes both that internal reflection, but also hearing what we need to hear, which can be in the form of tough or unexpected feedback, or even encountering unexpected events. Let's hear from Simone about reflections on active listening before we jump into our conversation with Jan. I think it's probably one of the things over my career in the last 10 years that I've matured maybe the most on is in this ability to be an active listener and to engage in meaningful interactions and meaningful conversation. I'll say two things. The first thing is, I think one thing I observe in emerging leaders, um, even in our, our experience in Vernissage, is there is this assumption that the job of the leader is to have the answers, and that the job of the leaders is to solve the problem, and that the job of the leaders is to, you know, fix everything that potentially their teams or their organizations are facing. And I think as I've gotten more and more experience and in, in progressive leadership roles, I've learned that actually, I think the opposite is true. And the article touches on this, that, that most highly effective leaders aren't necessarily doing, but they're helping stewards the doing and making sure that people have what they need to be highly effective and highly efficient in their roles. So I was struck in the article where it talked about engaging leaders listen more than they talk. 
they get out of their offices to see and feel more than they remain in there to sit and to figure. I have to say that that's, that's really resonate, resonated with me and with my experiences, because I think that that's been an area of growth, um, the ability to listen. You know, I, I'm not a clinician by training. I, I, I steward healthcare work and I steward now research and innovation and in the work that I do in my current role. I'm neither a researcher nor a clinician. Um, so for me to be effective in my job, I believe, I really need to spend time talking and listening and um, going to the front line of the work that we do to understand more about you know, what are the problems and the challenges that they face? How does that show up in the work that we do? Uh, what do you, what do people believe some of the barriers are that are preventing us from, you know, realizing our full potential potentially as an organization? So this ability to listen and to ask good questions, and then most importantly, to really listen to the answers, I really believe it creates a wealth of data that, um, you know, isn't you know, searchable on Google or isn't found in the incredible body of evidence that we have uh, as a society. And it isn't even something that our, you know, illustrious educations uh, can afford us necessarily. We have to seek it out. And then we importantly, I think, have to spend time listening and digesting what that means. And, and I think part of that is learning to be okay with saying, I don't know, what do you think? Or saying, that's an interesting problem. Do you have any thoughts or ideas around how, how we might approach that? Because again, I find that there is a misconception that lead, the job of the leader is to fix and to solve. I don't always believe that to be true. I think there are moments where that leadership style is necessary and you have to be able to assess what the right thing from your leadership toolkit is to bring to the table, I think, in that moment. And accept that you're not always going to get it right. Like, I certainly don't bat a thousand on that. But I do think that active listening is a real gift. And in a world that is as dynamic as the one that we live in, um, and healthcare is a highly complex, you know, we talk about it as one system. It is a massively complex organism, so to speak. And, and, you know, I've spent my, most of my career in healthcare and there's still things that I learn about on a daily basis as I, as I explore and, and have responsibility for new files and working with new people. So I do think that this concept of active listening is very, very important when you think about this analytical mindset. And truthfully, just when you think about leadership in general, one of the other things that I really took away from the Vernissage session was part of active listening is sometimes not responding with anything other than observation. And that I think is a difficult skill to practice. I think as human beings, we often want to fix things and we want to solve problems. And so when one's presented to us, it's our first instinct. Have you thought about, or what about, or I have a friend, or, you know, I've heard that this can be a really um, excellent solution to that. And so I really enjoyed the discipline that was required in our vernissage sessions to really just focus on offering some observations. Cause I, I do think that that's often what good coaches do. Um, and some of the most highly effective leaders that I've had opportunity to work with are ones that are able to figure out how I get the best out of myself and maybe not necessarily just always giving me um, solutions to the problems or the challenges that I'm facing as a leader. That was really insightful. And we'll come back to our conversation with Simone later on in the episode when we dive into the analytical mindset. So as we explore and ponder on the reflective mindset, our conversation with Jan really showed us the power of building our reflective muscles and provided some tips on how to do so. 
So let's hear Jan discuss the benefits of mindfulness and having regular practice to build our self-awareness. Our experience of the pandemic started to actually put more routine and regularity into these practices like resilience or um, more like um, muscles to be built on an ongoing basis, not like symptoms to be solved, right? So, and then I might sometimes in the evening also check in with my day and how things are going and do some journaling as well. So it's a pretty structured, not everybody will do this, but I'm a coach and I train others to do this as well. So I do do that. I do practice that myself. I'll say that I find that there are things that sometimes in retrospect, I look back on, well, that thing happened on Monday or on last Wednesday. And, you know, I happened to reflect back on it and realize that I was able to, like you say, navigate it with greater ease, right? There were probably less kind of extreme experiences or, um, whether I either reacted to a situation, it might have been less of a reaction than I might have in the past. And sometimes it happens, I don't even notice that uh, I was able to kind of glide through it with ease. Um, the other thing it helps me do with is, is with recovering faster. Self-awareness, seeing the, perhaps the recognizing my patterns of behavior that um, are counter to what I intend or what I really am a stand for in terms of how I want people to or one, how I want to be experienced in the world, right? So it's also seeing those reactions, that reactive path, those reactive patterns sooner and faster and recovering faster as well. Jan has clearly curated a mindful and deliberate daily routine, but it's great knowing that choosing whatever works best for your own schedule and preferences is really what's key to being consistent in our practices. It really has me thinking about what are better ways of listening, how to be more present and observe my surroundings to be more proactive rather than reactive in my decisions and to take on different challenges that I encounter throughout the day. So Jan really encourages us to explore different ways to foster self-awareness and build on our own reflection muscles, which might include getting feedback from others or just trying something new. Yeah, well, I think it's to, to find a find a practice, find a, something you like and try it out, try it out for a while. Um, it's a... I don't think this is, this is not rocket science, right? Like there's a lot of complex things to learn and skills to learn out there. Like, uh, and I think this, uh, this starts first with taking a first step and finding a practice that you like, that you enjoy, that feels like it's um, a space for growth and learning for you. So that might be an app on your phone that, you know, pokes you in the morning or throughout the day that might be joining in conversation with others, listening to a podcast like this one and opening up um, and exploring um, and empathizing and sort of getting a broader perspective on how others may look at mindset and be supported by my different ways of cultivating um, uh, awareness and, and uh, mindfulness for themselves. And I think there's also a, an opportunity to work with a coach. So like to, you know, particularly for emerging leaders, um, often coaching may not be seen as something that, you know, new leaders or emerging leaders take on, but there are a lot of great ways to access and um, coaching, whether it be group coaching or one-on-one -on -one coaching, but a space where there's a commitment to growth and learning and guidance from perhaps someone who can really help with the the depth of questions that you can explore. And I know there's a lot of coaching circles. So I started a, um, brought a group of friends together um, in my early years and my emerging years that didn't know each other, but all knew me. We met once a month on a Sunday to talk about our leadership and our learning and to hold each other accountable. 
And 21 years later, we're still meeting. We now meet like every other week. Um, so to create a circle that you can explore with and learn um, with others as well, if it's not about necessarily spending money on a coach, but find low cost ways to kind of expand your learning and reflection with others. So that's what I'd offer is to start is to get in action and find something you're comfortable with and have fun with it and be compassionate with yourself because it does take, um, there's lots there to learn, but um, be mindful of, of trying to get it right um, as at the first go. Wow. I really love the idea of a coaching circle. It's really about having fun, leaning in on your trusted network and being compassionate with yourself during the entire process. And so thinking about that compassion towards ourselves, I think it's really important that we never lose sight of, you know, compassion for others. And so a crucial skills for leaders now more than ever is really how we cultivate that reflection to bring an equitable lens to our work. I think the space of, of being mindful, of being reflective, it, it can be hard for us to, you know, let me say us, I think all of us as human beings to be aware of our own implicit biases. Right. This is a, and, and the effects that that has on others. And I'm including myself as a black female in that as well. And we all have our own implicit biases. There's the ways in which we see the world that are clouded by our own perspectives and our past experiences. So the space of reflection, the space of mindfulness, it can be a space of um, opening up our own mental processes, understanding the ways in which we have internalized and also, I think we internalize, but we also are, and we expect, or we, we, we work with the systems that have been, that have pre, predated us, right? Which have internalized, have also um, embedded uh, systemic um, oppression in them as well. And that gets perpetuated in the work that we do each and every day. So, you know, that, I think it's, it's harder for us to see and detangle that unless we are examining, examining our own biases, examining and challenging the structures and systems that we work within and looking to, to dismantle how colonialism and oppression have been integrated and, and embedded in our practices and our systems. And I think we got to start to have a willingness to engage in up close and personal moment by moment in our experiences and our noticing and the feedback that people are giving us constantly, both in their expressions of requests, but also in their experiences of oppression or their experiences of barriers um, in our systems that we are, that we are managing, working within and often creating. It's not that an easy, I don't have an easy answer, but I think it does start with uh, this self-awareness of um, what am I, how do I know? How am I own? What am I? What am I aware of in my own implicit biases that may be perpetuated in the work that I do? And how are our systems structured in a way that they internalize or they continue to perpetuate oppression? And we've got the data in front of us in terms of health equity. And we see it each and every day, in each and every one of our. Um, and I'm just saying, our just to be general, right? Our our um, decisions and actions have impact on people. And we look at the pandemic as an example in terms of the disproportionate impact of COVID on racialized and individuals who are living um, and working within with, with limited means, as well as the, the access to vaccines for those populations and communities as well. I think it's a, an ongoing 
effort that we need to put into addressing and dismantling these systems that are perpetuated with how we each work each and every day. What a great conversation with Jan. And it's really helped me reflect on how I'm going to be consistently building my own reflective muscles through a variety of practices and really being able to tune in to when and how to listen to feedback from my peers and leaders. It really leads me to think about, you know, what's the cost of not tapping into my reflective mindset? And it's really setting myself up for suboptimal decision and performance. So allowing yourself time to reflect and lead yourself really helps to set the foundation for not only your strong uh, sense of self-awareness, but also for strong relationships with others, whether that's, you know, your team, your partners that you work with and others, and really being able to bring your authentic self to everyday conversations and to every decision that you make. And speaking of reflection, um, let's just reflect on the next mindset, the analytical mindset, also framed as leading organization and systems enables leaders to effectively manage and solve rising problems. Good analysis breaks up and organizes the components of complex problems, which makes the distribution of tasks easier. The purpose of this approach to the analytical mindset is to achieve a deeper, more than surface level analysis. This is why it is more than merely simplifying complex decision, but rather seeking to sustain complexity and the capacity to take action. In other words, leaders need to understand that the analytical mindset is more than crunching numbers, counting widgets. This mindset is about reflective analysis, a more holistic view to complex problem solving. It requires integrating this hard quantitative data and with the softer qualitative and nuanced data. In measuring performance, for example, good analysis provides a language for organizing and allows people to share an understanding of what is driving their efforts. We must be able to view people as being parts of a system and get beyond the superficialities of data analysis to gain the deeper meaning of these structures and systems. Another interesting way to understand this mindset is through the etymology of the word analysis, whose literal meaning is to let loose. The root word ana stems from Greek and means up, and luin, so in layman terms, loosen. So analysis loosens up complex issues and or problems into manageable components. I really like that description. And that's the first time I've ever heard it described that way. But it is a great way to look at analysis. And Simone Harrington helped us analyze the analytical mindset. And she dives into how she loved this reframing from the article and how it links to being strategic and a leader. Thinking about the analytical mindset in particular, I actually really loved the reframing of analysis in the article. So the article talks a bit about um, analysis being about letting loose. I wouldn't say that that's dominantly how people think about analysis as the time where you're letting your hair down and really just uh, throwing caution to the wind necessarily. So for me, I really did enjoy um, the way it reframed the concept of analysis a little bit to, I think, maybe take away some of the stigma that uh, we might think about as analysis being quite buttoned up or, or, or maybe not a lot of fun, because I would generally say analysis is a lot of fun in my experience. Um, so I loved the way that it talked about taking a complex phenomena, breaking it into its component parts to really decompose them. And I was particularly struck by one of the lines in the article, which said, you know, good analysis provides a language for organizing. It allows people to share an understanding of what's driving efforts, and it provides measures for performance. As I was reading that, I have to say, the thing that came 
forefront to my mind was uh, the concept of strategy. Because of course, strategy, when you think about it, like, and uh, really to draw on some of my experience as a strategy leader, uh, that's really what you're trying to do in developing a strategy. You're trying to take vast swaths of very complex information, a lot of dynamic different components, and figure out how do we really drive something forward? How do we make some choices about what we are or aren't going to do in this particular situation? And then how do we lay it out in a way that it is easily communicated to people so that they understand not only what's the mission of an organization, but how are we organizing to a to achieve our mission? And then more importantly, how are we going to measure success and how are we going to measure whether or not we're getting there? So I thought that it was a really interesting way to kind of come at what I, you know, and I think every leader may have their own definition of strategy, but for me, that's really what strategy is about. And I loved that, that linkage for me of the analytical mindset to a very strategic mindset as well. The analytical and strategy connection. That reminds me of a popular saying, how to eat an elephant. And I've been told it's one bite at a time. This or any daunting task can take shape in many different ways. It requires decisions, strategies that is not only based on in-depth quantitative data, but also the qualitative data in addition to partnership. So who says you have to eat an elephant alone? And so one of the things that does come to mind is I think sometimes in... um uh, in, in many walks of life, healthcare not excluded from this, there's this need to sort of own or to do ourselves and not to really just embrace the power of partnership and the real strengths that partners can bring to the table, letting them run with their expertise, knowing what you're expert at, knowing what they're expert at, and going together with that, with that true co-ownership. And it's not always perfect, I think, is the other thing that, that we've learned. So one thing that I think is a cautionary note about the analytical mindset is that perfection is the goal of that. You know, perfect decision-making, I believe, is a myth good decision-making and great decision-making is, is I really think about making the best decision that you can with the information that you have in front of you at that moment. Sometimes I worry in healthcare, in particular in Canada, we are looking for perfection before we feel that call to action. And so again, going back to the analytical mindset, I think one of my pieces of reflection um, on the article. And as I think about the systemic changes that we hope to see in Ontario towards a better system for patients and families is for us to really move away from perfection and to get to great decision-making, because I do believe that forward motion is sometimes better than waiting for a perfect decision to be made. Um, so I think that that's a bit of a lesson for me as I think about the analytical mindset and where we may need to pivot ourselves away from overly analytical mindset and a bit more action <laughs> potentially for the future in healthcare. Analysis paralysis. That's how I describe it. Perfection is definitely a myth and aiming for it. We miss so many important aspects. Like Obama has said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of good. Better is good. And we want to share this last portion from our interview with Simone. It's a powerful story from early in her career and the consequences of maybe too much conventional analysis. 
the the one that comes to mind, I think it reminds me of another takeaway that I had from the article, which was the end of the article talks a lot about how these mindsets are not standalone, but how they have to kind of really be merged together um, and that the analytical cannot stand away from the worldly or the reflective because uh, truly the great managers are the ones who can really put these things together. So as I reflected on a, a story or a scenario where I had to kind of maybe overcome some challenges that I faced in an analytical mindset, um, I was transported back to a time where I was um, leading strategy in a hospital, um, director of strategy. We were in a newly merged organization. And one of our early tasks, of course, was to start to develop a strategy for the newly uh, formed uh, health system or, or set of hospitals. Uh, so we, we set about our task, which was to put together a five-year strategy. Um, and this was really a first opportunity for me to be on the organizational side. I had spent my career as a consultant to date, participating in many different organizational strategies, stewarding them, advising on them, but I'd never really sat on the leadership table side um, in a fulsome way in terms of being a strategy leader at this point in, in my career. So I went into the process as any good MBA would, and I thoroughly mapped out a great process, which of course included, you know, a SWOT analysis, an external scan, lots of options, options analyses, some frameworks and principles, a financial analysis, of course, would be included in my very robust uh, approach to, to the way we're going to develop the strategy. Um, and I came to kind of uh, dialogue with my bosses at the time. And, and their first question was to me, they said, well, what about engagement? I was like, sorry, engagement of what? What engagement would we be interested in? Um, and it was a great, it's a great moment I reflect on, on in, in my past where I think about, you know, that was a moment where I brought the analytical mindset in, but I forgot about all of the other contexts that we had to bring into the conversation. Um, so from that point on, we really engaged in a process which was to do some robust engagement inside and outside of our organization. We set a... Um, you know, we felt like it was a pretty lofty goal of, of engaging over 30,000 people inside or outside of our community to hear from them about, you know, what did they see the strengths of the organizations being at that time? Where did they see there, that there were opportunities for us to do better for our community and do better for the patients that we serve? Um, what did they believe some of the challenges were going to be in healthcare delivery over the next five to 10 years? And what ideas did they have about how we could really overcome those challenges as we put this new mission and this new mandate forward? Um, and from there, we we engaged. We sorry, we designed an engagement process, which then really sought to get meaningful impact. Uh, sorry, meaningful input. Uh, and what came out of that was some of the richest, I would say, information from um, a strategy development perspective that we could have had as a leadership team going into then putting together that first strategy as an organization. Uh, and it, it, I think, it's a good story to remind ourselves a little bit about um, combining of the mindsets and where perhaps it's not just the analytical mindset, because of course, we also needed those other component parts that I described when I talked about our approach. We did need to understand what some of our strengths and weaknesses were. We did need to understand what was going to be the context from a funding perspective, from a policy perspective. We did, of course, need to look at what our financial picture looked like and how that might evolve in the years ahead with the external context that we were aware of. But at the end of the day, 
none of that would have been complete without actually bringing to bear some of the input that we got and the vast majority of the input, quite frankly, that we got from the 30,000 people that we went out to talk to. Um, and it was interesting because that became part, I think, of the culture of the organization from there. It, it, was, it became one of engagement and it became one of conversation and it became one of dialogue when it came to decision-making. And back to your question about, I think, misconceptions, I think oftentimes we think in the analytical mindset is one that's applied more in a boardroom or in a spreadsheet or in a document and not one that's necessarily applied in conversation. And I would really encourage, I think, people listening to think a bit about, you know, how do you bring the analytical mindset together with the others, the reflective, the worldly, et cetera? Because I, I don't believe that good analysis actually will happen devoid of those things. That's really an excellent point. This is our first episode where we start to explore two of the mindsets. And we clearly see the interconnections and the need to connect them all. Both Simone and Jan reflected on their past experiences and practices. Megan, how have you been able to process these two mindsets in light of our conversation? Thanks, Matthew. I think I really like the concept of reflective analysis. It really demonstrates that you need to have an understanding of you know, your environment and yourself as a leader in order to understand and manage the nuances of complex problems. Uh, whether it's finding time to reflect on my week ahead and what type of decisions that I'll have to make or retrospectively uh, in the workplace or in my personal life, really doing my daily mindfulness practice and building up the reflex to sit back and reflect before jumping into action um, is something that I take in from my own life, as well as trying to really embed into the culture with colleagues and partners. And I think that's really helped me live what these mindsets set out to, to explain and really weave them into my regular leadership practice. No, I really appreciate that. And as you're saying, and in, even in our conversation, we see that a daily routine is key and really how do we build that consistency? So like, how do we build those reflection muscles and reflexes? So I'm a big Marvel fan. So I'm trying to build those spider sense reflexes so I can effectively take on those challenges by making sure that I'm using these mindsets in my daily activities. I love that. Something else that I've noticed is really how, you know, when you're coming into, especially more recently, certain leadership and management trainings really focus on that, you know, performance measurement and, you know, widget counting rather than also really building in that reflective analysis, you know, so there's certain decisions that become void of nuance. And I feel like that is like a lack of humanity there. So I think really the premise of reflective analysis is one that's really crucial to grasp as a health leader, uh, as we come into our roles from various perspectives, whether that's more quantitative or qualitative fields in the health system or beyond uh, coming into our leadership roles. And so I think that's something that uh, has really stuck with me after these conversations as well. No, that's good. And even just thinking about that too, in our first episode, as we're exploring the reflective and analytical mindset, I hope we bring these mindsets into our next episodes in terms of how do we reflect and how do we analyze uh, what we're going to be looking at next. Past, present, future. How do we stop and think when time waits for no one? Examine your current and past experiences. Reflect. To strategize for the future. Analysis. How do leaders get beyond data to deeper meaning of structures and systems? Whether it's feedback from self or others, we need to step back and survey our options. 
we need to reflect on how we present ourselves, our leadership skills and practices. Each of the mindsets that we are exploring complements, builds on, and intersects with each other. They are distinct, but complementary, requiring deep integration with one another. That is reflective analysis. Let's seek it out. This podcast is a companion initiative to the Vernissage Health Dialogue Series for Health Leaders. Thanks to the generous support of our partners, Associated Medical Services, AMS, the Dalana School of Public Health, DLSPH, and the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation, IHPME, for making this podcast possible. Built to Lead is hosted by IHP alumnus Matthew Goldburn and IHPME student Megan Perrin. The music was composed by Sindhu, and this episode was edited and mixed by Madden and Mitchell Media. For more content and information, visit vernissagehealth.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of Built to Lead, make sure to follow, subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend. We are building the health leaders of tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Madden and Mitchell Media.